0: Hello! You are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This fall, we are in the short yet significant New Testament letter of 1 John. John was writing near the end of the first century to many Christians who were either giving up or being tempted to give up on some of the basics of Christian faith. He responds to this by calling them back to correct doctrine, obedient living, and lively devotion. At its heart, this book is calling us to find our life in the life of the Beloved, Jesus. We'd love to meet you and we hope you'll consider coming and joining us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless.
1: It is clearly fall, right? I mean, literally leaves have been falling while we've been singing. Um, I feel like it's also just this perfect fally temperature. Like all of you look like you want to get just a little bit cozier, you know, like be around a fire just a little bit more, but it's not yet frigid out. It's just perfectly fall. Um, and of course the holiday that we celebrate the most in fall is what holiday? Thanksgiving. Uh, they were about to say Thanksgiving. So I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to actually share a few things that we're thankful for. So why don't just a few of you tell some things that you're thankful for for Schaefer retreat, for the gift of this property that was given to the church. Yeah, I am too. Thank you for the Danowski kids. Yeah. We're thankful for them for camping. Okay. Yeah, he got the Holy Ghost. it's awesome, Micah. What are you thankful for? For, my, <laughs> for what? For, my model for your model rocket you have at home. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful for time that we have at church. the time we have at church together. Yeah, I am too. James is thankful for all the people that can be here. Yeah, I am too, buddy. The pigs that I grilled, there's no pig this year, but I'm thankful for that other in years past. Um, what else? How about two more? Let's have some adult. Okay. Will, and then we'll, we got two adults. Will, what are you thankful um, for? I'm just thankful for, living. for living for life. Well, yeah. God, you want to be alive, yeah. Yeah. Two adults beautiful creation yeah yeah your wife that's a good husband way to go Um, she's not even here to hear to hear it Wow Um, okay I want you to switch now a little bit okay Um, I want you to imagine that we are not in the fall but maybe we're in a time like late February or or early March when we don't have the abundance of fall. You know, one of the things, I mean, cultures all around the world, and we actually see this in the in the time of Israel where there were times like the Feast of Booze, you'd gather together and celebrate the gifts that God has given us in harvest, right? Um, but picture with me that you're in, you're in the, just the dead of winter where there just seems to be no life. And instead of having a time where we give thanks. We are having a time where we are sharing mourning, right? We just heard blessed are those who mourn. We actually do have a time for this. It's called Lent, right? Where we mourn our sins and we mourn the reality of brokenness and sins effects in the world. So I want you to share a few things that you mourn over, that you grieve over. Might be a little bit harder for kids than this one. You guys are good at giving thanks. What are some things that you mourn The conflict of Israel and Palestine. That is, that's something to mourn over. That's right. A lot of death. Conflict in general. Conflict in general. Yeah. Yeah. Gun violence. Violence. Gun violence. Gun violence. Yeah. What are other things that we mourn? The death of a loved one. The death of a loved one. Barb, I think of Don's passing recently, right? That's something that we mourn. We cry about. Cancer. We mourn cancer. That's right. Yes. Yeah, we mourn those who don't know Jesus as Lord. Yeah. How about two more mourn, things that we mourn? Yeah. Yeah. And and how much it just seems to stick around when we want it to be gone. Yeah, I mourn that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's something that we we mourn as a community. We mourn our place that we love being destroyed. Right. Yeah. Um. The cold. <laughs> Where'd the sun go? Right. One of the things I think that if, if you could put those, if, we would, if I could have written out of list the things that you're thankful for and the things that you mourn for, I think what you would see is so many of the things that you're thankful for are those things that give life, right? That, that, that help us to see life in a more way or live life more fully or experience it more or, or the gifts that we give are given like a rocket, right? That's something that gives us joy. And the things that we mourn actually most often tend towards death And destruction Uh, uh, the broken relationship that was once there and now it's gone it's the passing of something or cancer that takes life right it kills Um, most of the things that we mourn have to do with death and dying and destruction and something being taken rather than something being given to us right Um, and I think that's it's a good practice to learn how to voice those things and to name them, and to say, this is wrong, and this is bad, and actually to have times where we sit in the mourning and the weeping. For one, we are are literally instructed to do so by our Lord, right, in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, but we also see it in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus is said to have wept more than once. Many of you know, of course, the story of Jesus weeping over the death of his friend, Lazarus. Let me read some of it to you. It's from the gospel of John chapter 11. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, that's Lazarus' sister, and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, "Where have you laid him, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus mourns and he weeps at the passing of something, the taking away of something that was given to him that he loved and brought life. Um, I mentioned this last week when I just mentioned briefly the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Um, This is in Luke chapter 19. Let me read some of it to you. This is Jesus when he's coming in to Jerusalem. It says, "And, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you even now had known on this day the things that make for peace. The Lord longs for the the peace of the place, and he weeps over the fact that it is not a place of peace, but a place of conflict, of death and destruction. So we have this idea of thanksgiving and this idea of mourning, and actually we're instructed in Holy Scripture to embrace both of these things. But to, to weep and to cry and to mourn at loss and death and destruction. To take joy in life. Um, one of the things that we've seen, of course, in First John is um, John writing to these churches is comparing different things. He's been um, comparing uh, light and darkness and being people of the lie and people of the truth. And I think part of the things that he's doing here is he's actually putting at odds life and death, uh, life and hatred. Um, I want to say hostility and also hospitality. Um, and what, how he begins this part right here, verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we love one another. Love is the extension of the giving right? Life. And I want you to think back again, because John's been doing this for us too. He's been calling us back to think of the beginning of creation. And he's going to do that with regards to actually Genesis chapter four and Cain and Abel. But I want you to think back to Genesis chapter one, even how God creates the earth, he's creating out of love, but he's also giving the earth to itself in a way. Think with me, okay? Day one, what does God create? Yeah, light, day and night at the end of it. He said, you know, he, he makes day and night through making light, right? Day two, water and sky. Day three, he creates the earth. And then day four, he starts to inhabit it, right? So day four, where he's made the the light and the darkness, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and he puts them in their places. Day five, he, he inhabits uh, the, the sea and the sky, the fish and the birds. Day six, he creates the livestock and the creeping things. I love that it says the creeping things. <laughs> and then he creates humankind, male and female, after his image. And he puts them and he, it's almost as though he's gifting these places, right? And, he's, and he says, here, you live here and you eat here and you, and you thrive here. And he's just a giving God. Even how he creates it, it seems as though he's creating it to be gifted to it, it itself, um, he's almost like he's saying, look what I've given you. And one of the things that we see actually at the end, when he creates hum- uh, humankind male and female, after he is image, he says, look, all of this food that I've given to you from the very beginning, God is just a life giving life making and a gift giving God. And he desires that, that kind of gift giving thing. Um, the giving, what I want to suggest to you is the giving is supposed to continue too. And the life-givingness of it is supposed to continue, right? He says, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, care for it, have dominion over it. It's supposed to be this life-giving situation that's taking place. Um, And here's the thing too. The first sin has to do with taking something that wasn't given. And actually that's where this idea of death begins, with the taking of what is not properly given, right? Um, and it's out of that, that hostility and conflict and broken relationships and hiding and all of this death begins to come, right? All the death begins to come, but it was not to be the, not to be so from the beginning. God created the world to be a life-giving, life-producing, gift-giving world. Um, and that's to be the case because God is the one who, from the beginning, gives. So we're to imitate the gift-giving God. So we have Genesis chapter 4, and that's what's mentioned for us in the First John passage. And it has to do with murdering and hatred and anger and the taking of another's life. I mean, think of how many of the things that we mentioned with had, had to do with taking of someone's life, Right. And it's baked into this idea of hatred and sin and this this idea of mourning, the taking of another life. So, So this is what John then says after this idea of hearkening us back to the beginning. He says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Um. If you've studied Genesis and if you've read some commentaries, you know that there's lots of questions about Cain and Abel. Um, There's lots of questions. And one of the questions might be, well, does God prefer ranchers to like grain farmers? What is happening there? Like, why does the Lord accept one offering and not the other? And, And what's going on with with Cain's anger and all this stuff that is built up. Well, here in this passage, it says that his deeds, plural, were evil. And, what, and, and that actually seems to, to be the thing that actually produced uh, the murder, right? It's not just that the murder, but he murdered his brother because his deeds were evil. So I want us to consider for a moment the idea of what Cain did And what are these evil deeds maybe that are mentioned because i think that's a question that happens when you get to this passage right so i want us to consider the offering that cain gave and then also just the anger right so when you think of the the offering of cain there are two things that stand out one is actually the type of sacrifice and i mentioned you know he gives the grain offering and his brother gives gives the meat offering and let me say this, okay? It's not the case that God does not like grain offerings. He actually invites them in the book of Leviticus. There's actually grain offerings that you're supposed to offer. But at the time of Genesis chapter 4, if you had just read the previous section, what you would have seen is that when the Lord takes care of the, the shame and the hiding of Adam and Eve, that they tried to cover themselves up with a plant, he covers themselves, that he covers them with skins of an animal. Which is, which is to say that right from the very beginning, part of what the Lord is teaching them is that the wages of sin is death. Like Romans tells us in chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. And the Lord is saying, hey, when you sin, something has to die. And so in some regard, Cain is not putting these things together. He, ha- he hasn't been taught and he hasn't been attentive to what the Lord has done, okay? Okay. So that's one explanation is just the type of offering that he's offering. It's not the fact that it's a grain offering, but he hasn't learned from the Lord that the wages of sin is death. Okay. Um, But the second thing, and this is really important that you hear this, is that the quality of the sacrifice also is different. Um, One of the things you read when you read of Abel's offering is that it was the the firstborn and and the best. It mentions that if you were attentive to when Nora read that. it, It mentions that he's giving the best to the Lord, And there's no mention of Cain offering the first of his labors or the best of his grain or anything like that. That's not mentioned. So what what, what we're getting at is probably a hardness of heart first towards the Lord. He's first angry with God and how he's made the world and doesn't want to follow him and all this. And then out of that, those deeds, he's angry with his brother. Um, So anyway, there's a type of offering and there's a quality of offering and that's instructive for us. But what I want you to hear in both of those is that that Cain is living out of a taking and out of a stinginess. I mean, I want you to think of of the very very first like uh, of the livestock that was born and the finest of it. Abel is saying, God, I'm going to depend on your giving. I'm going to live in dependence on you. I'm going to trust that I can give maybe more than I feel like I can give because you're the God who provides and offers and gives. And Cain is saying, ah, I'm going to live in stinginess. I'm going to keep for myself. I'm not going to give, I'm going to take. Okay. And so there's this give and take that's happening right there in that story, right in Genesis chapter four. But here's what's going on also is that immediately what we also learn before he kills his brother is that he was angry. He, he first murdered his brother in his heart he allowed that anger to build up inside of him, and he did not offer it to the Lord. So, so there's this dynamic at play in the Cain and Abel story, and it's the thing that, that John is trying to teach us right in this passage. And it's this dynamic of being those who give and live in dependence on God and those who take and those who harbor, whether it's goods or even their own anger and not offering it to the Lord. Okay, so a little bit of a tricky kind of passage. Probably not the thing that you expected to have a long explanation of hopefully helpful. I hope it's helpful because this is what John does in first John is he moves from this example from Genesis chapter four and he gets to one of the most important things. And one of the the things that you hear time and time again, if you've kind of studied first John and it's this pitting of love and hate. And the, and the Lord is teaching us in First John time and time again that we are to be people who cherish this new commandment that we love one another. So let me read again verses 3, 13 to 18. It says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And here's this pitting together again of love and hatred, right? What I've said is there's the pitting together of light and darkness and truth and the lie. And now there's love and hatred. And at every one of these things, what he's saying is that God is light and in Him is no darkness. And so for you, you are to be people that don't live in the darkness anymore. Get out into the light. Be people who are open and honest. Don't hide. Don't lie. Don't lie because God is the truth telling God. And here's really the point is you are to be people who are reflections of the gift-giving God. Right? I mean, that's really what he's getting at is if, if you're to be people who are marked by love, you're simply to be people that are reflectors of who God is. And the antithesis of God in scriptures are those who take, those who hoard, those who grab, those who kill. And so it makes sense, and and, and what he's doing here, I've I've said this before, but what he's doing in 1 John is see, the world is not just the world in terms of physical creation, but it's the world that is antithetical to God, the world that is against God. And so the world would be that which takes and grabs and kills those things that we mourn over. And he's saying, we are to be reflections of the gift-giving God. Which is to say this, there is no stinginess in the kingdom of God. All right. There's no stinginess in the kingdom of God. No stinginess with your goods or with your heart, with your lives. He says, if you have the world's goods and you see your brother in need, you must give. There is no stinginess in the kingdom of God. Do not withhold from your brother in need. Do not withhold your goods from the Lord. And when you do this, stinginess creates self-centeredness which creates hostility towards others which creates anger which creates death these things go hand in hand hostility and hospitality are at total odds with one another and i want you to think about this right i, I mean I, I referenced because i think john's calling us back to genesis a lot in first john i ref, i referenced how god even makes the world and he and he makes it a hospitable place for itself and that's just how he creates and how he gives he gives life and that life is a hospitable life Um, but when you come to the Gospel of John of course what we learn right in in the Gospel of John in chapter 3 verse 16 is God so loved the world that he what he get he gives right and he gives his his only begotten son it's actually just like Abel who gives of the first and the best right this is a reflection of God but I want you to think also Um, because it's the most crazy thing and no religion would have made this, but when God takes on flesh, the very first miracle that Jesus does, what does he do? Why would he turn water into, why not raise the dead, right? Or heal the blind, right? Or like stop the conflict in Israel and Palestine or do something like, like water into wine? That's not what God is supposed to be about. James, I want you to stop right there. You're kind of being distracting that you're scooting up so much, okay? Um, the wa- and I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? God, no God that we would fashion would, would have that be his first miracle, turning water into wine. But here's the other thing. There's no God that we would fashion in our minds who would turn that much water into wine. I'm telling you, it's crazy, okay? Think with me. This is a long wedding that Jesus has been at. Um, most likely, it, spent, it was at least a few days. It may have been up to a week. Sometimes big wedding parties would have lasted that long. Um, and there would have been way too much food consumed and way too much wine already drank. Really, for most of our sort of sensibilities, we would have been like, this is too much happening here. You know, Conserve your money, conserve your goods, stop eating so much, stop drinking so much. And Jesus doesn't turn one vat of water into wine, but how many? Any Six. Why are you doing six, Jesus? The parties lasted long enough. Everybody go home. Or just ch- turn one, maybe. Th- does everyone remember how big these were? 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus, 20, 30 gallons is enough wine. Um, y'all, there's like you know, sparkling water and beer over there. And it's not, there's not even 20 gallons, not even close. Um, 20 to 30 gallons and not just one vat, but six vats, 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine and Jesus first miracle. What are you doing? God, does anybody have an idea of roughly how many bottles that might be bottles of wine? Uh, it's more than that, but it's a lot it's an awful lot. Um, well, you, th- you think uh, at least four bottles per, per gallon. So you're pushing almost 800 bottles of wine. Way too much wine, Jesus. Here's my point though, is that the, the Lord is instructing us in something very, very important. That he is the, he is the hospitable God who keeps it going right? Keeps the party going and keeps life happening and keeps giving and gives way more than we think is even remotely necessary. That's how our God is. And of all of the images that we have could, could possibly have made up for how the world would actually end and how things, the picture that we have of how things should be and could be, and we desire to be, what the Lord tells us is, it's going to be a big party where there's going to be feasting. Of course, there's going to be no more crying nor tears or pain or anymore because those are passed away. But it's going to be a lavish party where our Lord is the host once again. And he just gives and he gives and he gives. And right there in the middle, of course, is the lamb who was slain because he's the one that makes it possible. But my point here with this is what we have here in First John is this pitting together of taking and hoarding, which leads to death and murder and anger and giving and giving and giving, which leads to life, which leads to a hospitable world where people flourish, where those who don't have are able to live well because of the gifts of others that reflect the gift-giving God. is how the passage continues by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him for whenever our hearts condemn us god is greater than our hearts and he knows everything beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before god and whatever we ask listen this whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son jesus christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we're, again, we're out in creation and thankfully the sun is back out. um, And we're taking in just the beauty of this world. And what we're to be reminded of is this gift-giving God who's made this place for our delight and for our enjoyment, that we might have time together to actually bask in the gifts of one another and the presence of one another. Um, But I want you to think about this, right? That part of what John is saying, again, he's bringing us back to Genesis, bringing us back to the beginning. And he's saying that the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters that seemed to have not much, actually, not not only not much going on, it was just chaos and void. It was empty, right? It was nothing. And and just the Spirit of God hovering over that and the Word of God going out from it and God the Father orchestrating it, life came, an abundant life came and life-giving life, right? Life that just gives and gives and gives and more life comes out of it. And here at the end of this passage where where God's been talking about taking and giving and killing and life-giving and being generous, he says things like, whatever we ask, we receive. Like, whatever? Or he says things like this, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given And I want you to picture this just as like, maybe you're thinking like, my life is void. I'm in darkness. I don't have, I don't, you know, I have conflicts that are like just at odds, friendships that are odds. I'm living a life that just feels so scarce. And God says, I'm the abundant God who's given the spirit of God to be with you and to live in you. And in some ways, even to hover over you while you feel void, and empty and dark, and whatever you ask is gonna be given. And how do I know that? Because he says, I mean, what I desire of you, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus. And then he says, and love one another. But what he's saying is, if I've given you Jesus, how much more will I not give you all things? I mean, he's pushing this community out of this scarcity mindset, out of this hostility mindset, into a hospitable giving mindset, right? And he's saying, because this is what I do. This is the God I am. The spirit who hovers over the emptiness and creates is hovering over you, right? The word that was spoken and light came into being is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and was the eternal son that was given for us. The God who can create all things can tell us whatever you ask in my name, I can give you. I mean, what he's trying to do for us just again and again and again in First John is say, my life is for you. Live in the light, live in the truth, live in the hospitable love of God for one another. He's moving us from a scarcity mindset to a hospitable giving mindset. And part of what that means is there's a couple things for us. One, ask of God, you know, be bold people that pray and say, Lord, give us this. Another thing is give. I mean, literally like it it is a gift of God. When the Lord gives you opportunities to give, he tells us it is better to give than to receive. And he's made the world to live more abundantly as we give. We are better as we give. Uh, Martin Luther King said, love is the greatest force in the universe. It's the heartbeat of the moral compass. And it says, he who loves is a participant in the being of God. That is what John is getting at. You actually have the opportunity to participate in light, in truth, in gift giving, in love, creating, in love flourishing. Um, and what he's saying here is that's not a vague kind of thing, but it's an on-the-ground thing. Love your brothers, give out of your abundance, and more will be given to you. It's the way God actually made the world. And it's the way that we reflect this reality of who God is. Um, I thought that was a great passage for our time in Schaefer out here. Because one of the things that we are doing when we're out here is we're having a prolonged time of talking to one another, of giving our ears and our voices to one another and our faces and our presence. Of course, we're going to eat together and there's an act of giving and taking that takes place in there. But I want you to think concretely today. How do I give of my life for one another as we're together, okay? With that, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Text of 1 John, thank you that you're inviting us again and again to participate in your life. A life that is uh, light, that is truth, that is love, that is gift-giving, life-creating. God, you invite us to be reflections of your very self in this world. God, I pray that we would find that to be our joy and our delight. Um, that we wouldn't be surprised when the world that is against you is against us because we are for you, because we have believed in the name of Jesus and we love the brothers and sisters. Lord God, move in us in this way. Spirit of God, hover over us where we feel empty and void, uh, where we don't feel like we have anything to give, and create new and afresh in us, Spirit. God, be at work in our community. Would we be a people that move out of hostility and these things that lead to death and decay and murder and destruction, the things that we mourn over? And God, would we be a people that pursue life, pursue the things that we uh, give thanks for? Would we reflect this reality that you are the great gift giver? You are the great party thrower. That you're the one who loves lavishly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.